This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice. Please seek a medical professional or healthcare provider if you're seeking any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Thanks, everyone. I mean, I swear, people must think that we are sponsored by Celsius, but we promise we are 100% not. But if you are, I mean, we're open to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're very, very open to being sponsored um, by Celsius. I remember the first couple times that they liked our stories and stuff, we were like, and on threads, I'm like, constantly talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they're pretty active with us Mm -hmm. on threads. So hi, hi, social media people on threads. I see you. You see us. We're happy. Oh my God! Stop being weird. I'm. Uh, it's been a week. We're gonna yeah. uh, jump into January 2024. So the first recap of the year. Yes, first recap of the year and first recap for our original podcast. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that don't know, Julie and I have a podcast, and we also have Patreon, which is an exclusive membership to get pretty much original things. Yep. Everything that we do there is completely separate from our podcast so you have shows full episodes like full episodes of completely different topics just like we do for the weeklies that we like i don't know why i couldn't say that oh (laughs) not trying here (laughs) help me out here jules (laughs) but yeah we have completely new and exclusive episodes just for patreon exactly and it's a c format but it's just double the episodes you would get if you're a patreon subscriber and you listen to the weekly so and you got to see us on video i mean who doesn't want to see us on camera I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm the first person that's super awkward on camera. Yeah, I know. But anyways, so one of our favorite shows to record for Patreon is our recaps, our monthly recaps. Mm -hmm. So our monthly recaps are really nice because it's just new things in the medical wellness health world. Yeah. Um, Things like trending, trending, medical topics and things like that, that we kind of just read off. We don't really dive too deep into them. So it's kind of just a a summary, a recap of the biggest stories that we have for that month. Exactly. And we love recording those. I think you guys would also really love to hear those as well. So here's our first of the year and our first for our original podcast. Exactly. So we wanted to show you guys what we have been putting out there on Patreon. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do it in tandem. So this is the first month. It's the first recap of the year. And we're going to go and give this one as a bonus episode to all the weekly listeners. So you'll be hearing this on Spotify, Apple Music, etc., all those things, and also on YouTube. But then next month, for instance, like in February, that on February's recap will be only on Patreon and then so on and so forth. So it's just to give you guys a taste and to see if we could get some more Patreon subscribers because she really wants me to eat some vegan food like I had promised in that. I forgot about that. One of our first You didn't say, hold on a second. Let me just... Let me just rephrase that. She didn't say she was going to eat vegan food. That's yeah. too easy. No, yeah. yeah what we said is that you were going to eat jackfruit that was supposed to be... Chicken, I think. No, it wasn't the jackfruit. It was watermelon Ugh. to be like meat, like marinated in soy sauce. Oh my God, that's so bad. And all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely what it was. I have goosebumps again. Yeah, that's exactly what happened when we first recorded it. okay so and i said and i did and i promised it and that's why i bring it up again look my hands are clammy yeah you know your hands get clammy so fast when i when i get goosebumps like that that i get nervous or whatever like it just like immediately like immediately yeah it's like get away from me (laughs) (laughs) pretty much it's like drop it (laughs) i wonder what the whatever add what i was saying i did promise it i'm keeping my word okay that i will do it once we reach 100 patrons so there's that to look forward to but anyway i that that video will be probably me throwing up at the end of and it, so. me just laughing the entire time oh 100 yeah. i'm gonna egg you on so hard that day i'm gonna be like oh look at it dripping delicious Stop. juicy meaty watermelon <laughs> all right 
<laughs> okay, starting off our January recap. Josie, you want right. to start with it? All right, let's do it. So again, just to give you guys, because this is the first one we're going to be doing on the weekly, I pretty much look through MedPage, you know, all these other like medical type of websites and journals and whatnot. And then pretty much medical news, medical trending articles, medical advances, things that are just out there that it's new and interesting and that have people talking, maybe even on social media or whatever. I pick them out, choose and pick, and we talk about them in some more detail or, or, or not. I give a little synopsis, a little summary about it, and then we go into it for a little bit. Of course, it's not going to be all of the things that you've seen in the news because that yeah. would be impossible. Yeah. But these are the ones at least that we picked that we wanted to talk the about it. stories for us at least. Yeah, we wanted to go ahead and talk, uh, talk about it amongst us and with you guys. Yeah. So, And if you all have any trending topics or something that came out and you want to listen to a little bit more, you can send it to Please. us. We can include it on our recaps. We would love we that. Can, if it's popular, then we can even do a show out of it 100%. as well. 100%. Uh, after we started doing these recaps, Jules and I kind of joked that our podcast has a lot of content. Yeah. Because there's always <laughs> something coming out new. 100%. That's new. So it's nice to kind of talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So like, for instance, this first one. So um, up to 10 hospital patients in Oregon or Oregon. Don't kill Definitely me. Oregon. It's got to be Oregon, right? Definitely. Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Starting off strong. No, because I was listening to another podcast that some people were like torn on it. And I'm like, I could, I'm not from there, but I could swear that it's Oregon. Mm. Right. It's but Oregon. some people were like, oh, maybe, whatever. Anyway, in my ADD going really, really, it's, oh. it's off the rails. Oh. So, Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> Up to 10 hospital patients in Oregon died from tap water injections instead of fentanyl. Reported by Rebecca Rahman. December 31st of 2023 on Business Insider. And that's another thing. Like sometimes they overlap with the month previously because we recorded yeah. and then it came out after recording or whatever. So it's kind of like a, you know, it's like a little mesh. Exactly. But anyway, so a nurse at Asante Rogue Regional Medical Center in Medford, Oregon, is suspected of stealing fentanyl, a powerful opioid painkiller. Listen to our um, latest release on opioid crisis, crisis on yeah. Patreon. From the hospital supply and replacing it with tap water injections. The tap water was not sterile and caused infections in several patients in the intensive care unit, some of whom died as a result from pseudomonas. Okay. And for those of you that don't know, pseudomonas yeah. is a bacteria and it can cause severe infections, especially people that are also maybe predisposed to uh, or at higher risk for infections. Yeah, immunocompromised. So, immunocompromised individuals. Yeah. And regardless, even if you're not immunocompromised, a pseudomonal infection can be very severe. As as, as we've going seen on here. here yeah. So this is so sad that this happens and all because someone is just stealing drugs. Yep. So the hospital reported the issue to the police and state health authority in December of last year, 2023, and a criminal investigation is underway. Sources within the hospital claim that up to 10 patients died from the infection, but the police have not confirmed the exact number and or the cause of death. Fentanyl is one of the most commonly diverted drugs by healthcare professionals, according to experts, and the incident highlights a risk of drug diversion and tampering in the medical field. So horrific, just like Evie said, that this these deaths and all of this yeah. happened, like these infections happened because this person wanted to steal fentanyl. Like, yeah. horrible. And, you know, this is obviously, there's a bigger, you know, picture into all of this. Mm -hmm. This is someone that is getting paid to do this, or maybe she's not getting paid to do this. Maybe she is doing this for her own, her own addiction. benefit or for her own addiction. Good point. Because a lot, there's actually, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that abuse from their uh, medical profession and their yeah. access to these kind of medications yeah. um, that we do use all the time in the hospital to help others yeah. temporarily. And, you know, they kind of steal and they use it for their own benefit. There was actually a, there was a huge, a very famous movie that came out. I mean, it was on Netflix, I think. And it was about an anesthesiologist that he got his license removed, but he kept he was like a total con artist wow. and then like just kept on stealing and using it for himself. I can't yeah. remember of the movie at this moment. But anyways, the point is, is that people do 
do that to for their own gain yeah whether it's for money or for their own personal use of drugs yeah um but it's just very sad because at the end of the day it's other individuals and other lives that were that get affected by it too get affected you know? by it yeah and it's like you're a nurse and you can steal drugs but you can't steal normal sailing for the love right? of god right right like that 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 was something that i thought of too i'm like like why? you can't steal sterile water even you're not supposed to do it but dirty water like just tap water yeah so she probably went to the bathroom or something like sterile water like i mean not sterile just tap water mm. like from the tap like mm. she went to a tap and just yeah but a person that's doing that doesn't care so yeah you're right you're right if you're doing yeah. that yeah but i remember there was also like at least back and anyways all those things everything that you use that's all sterile needles are sterile yeah um everything that we use our medications our ivs like all these things these are all sterile things that are for one-time use only so here you have a person coming and touching it, uh, breaking it open, it, it, t- stealing the drugs, yeah. using that to absorb something else, God, putting it in. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a must. It's, yeah. it's a must. But All right. So, well, that was our first story. So <laughs> yeah. our second story, more teens who use marijuana are suffering from psychosis. Newsflash, people. Marijuana can cause psychosis. <laughs> For those of you that didn't know that, it can. All right. So this article was by Julie Wernow. This was uh, published on January 10th, 2024 on the Wall Street Journal. So this article reports on an increasing case of psychotic episodes among adolescents and people that use high potency cannabis, which which has a much higher level of THC than other strains available. THC is the chemical in cannabis. So we have CBD and then you have THC. But the THC is the one that can actually cause the psychoactive effects. The article cites several studies and experts that link the use of high-potency cannabis can lead to a greater risk of psychosis, addiction, depression, and anxiety. It also shares the stories of some teens and adults who experience the psychotic symptoms after using cannabis, such as paranoia, hallucinations, delusions. Some of them had to be hospitalized and treated for and with antipsychotic medications. The article also discusses challenges of regulating the potency of cannabis products and uh, as different states have different laws and standards. That's something that I don't understand. I'm like, I just the thing is that we're not. That's the thing. We're the United States, but we're not Not. united at all. Can we just agree on something here? You know, mostly when it's like a drug. There's just so much politics to everything that it's I don't even yeah that's how that's a that's whole, a whole other story yeah. i'm not even in that world so i can just i don't even i don't even know it's just the tip of the iceberg that's it all is. i see it that's is. all i see and i know it's a huge problem it's a huge problem it's a huge interest industry oh for sure um for sure politically it's like politically it's a huge industry too mostly this and year socially too i'm sure we're gonna be hearing about that non-stop this year given that it's an election year oh, yeah 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 oh for sure for God, sure for it's sure be everywhere the article also mentions that vermont is the only state that caps the potency of cannabis while other states are considering adding limits which is insane to me <laughs> It also notes that some cannabis advocates uh, argue that limiting the potency could drive consumers to the black market where the products are untested and potentially more harmful. It's happening already. I mean, yeah, the black market is like your corner dealer. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, I mean, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Again, whatever. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of opinions <laughs> yeah. here. But the article concludes by highlighting the need for more research and education on the effects of high potency cannabis, especially for young people who are more vulnerable to its negative impacts and mental health. It also urges parents and health professionals to be aware of the signs of cannabis induced psychosis and seek help if needed. Listen, at least for <laughs> me, if you come in with like on mild history or on no history of yeah. any psychosis yeah and you tell me that you did drugs yeah i'm gonna be like okay you have an acute psychosis secondary to drug abuse like i don't yeah. know what to tell you yeah yeah have um, you ever experienced it, it, i mean this is perfect yeah. that you read it because you're a pediatrician so yeah, this yeah, yeah. kind of falls under i see kids all the time smoking marijuana and i try to educate them marijuana has been linked to depression yeah. it has been linked to anxiety and a lot of socials mm. kind of advertise it differently. Right. They say, if you have anxiety, oh, don't worry, like smoke and, and depression. Relax. Yeah, exactly. Everything, it's going to relax yeah. you. Yes, I cannot deny that there is a place for marijuana. 100%. Okay. Yeah. I, I do believe that. I've seen kids with refractory seizures, meaning 
seizures that we have treated with multiple anti-epileptics. I'm talking about multiple anti-epileptics. And then we start one that is based of CBD, not THC, CBD. And it stops. Wow. It stops. And we should probably do an episode on Alice. Uh, not Alice. Uh, oh my God! What? Um, I know the we web. Have... What's the spider? Charlotte's, Charlotte's web. Charlotte's web. Okay. Charlotte is the little girl uh-huh. that had refractory seizures, uh-huh. and then hers is what made the story famous on using weed really? to stop. Yes. What the hell does that have to do with the spider? Charlotte's web. The Charlotte's web. The book. The yeah. little girl's name is Charlotte. Right. But so what they does called that... nothing. They just called it Charlotte's oh. web. Oh, I'm here thinking like, what, was she like imagining the spider or something? Like I was, I was going off on a very far tangent now. Charlotte's web, marijuana. Let me see. So they use a particular type of marijuana, mm-hmm. which is called Charlotte's it's a, web. It's exactly. It's a specific okay. strain. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm here thinking something totally different. Yeah. yeah. So it's a specific strain that okay. they made for specifically for this person. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, and it's a whole entire story. It's a very interesting oh, yeah, story. Yeah, we could definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting story. Right. Um, but anyways, there it also helps a lot of people with nausea, mm-hmm. especially cancer patients. That, I was just gonna say that there's yes. big, there's like a big area for it. In... Yes, and there's te- there's millions of more yeah. things that it can help out with. However, it does come with side effects. Mm-hmm. So and mostly um, when you overuse it and abuse it like a lot of these like yeah. teens are doing a lot of the times cannabis hyperemesis that's a thing what's that? teens basically come in vomiting with profuse vomiting and it's from Dang. cannabis use yeah because not everybody has the same high yeah. that's the other thing like just because your friend gets a really good high off of marijuana however ingesting it or smoking it whatever yeah doesn't mean you're gonna have that same high yeah, everyone mean, is different it may be horrible for you so. everyone is different and then it's kind of like a vicious cycle because then they're throwing up and then they use the marijuana to stop mm. the the nausea and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Mm. So I see it all the time. I see psychosis all the time. And unfortunately, when you it's just it's kind of like a what's more likely to happen situation. Mm-hmm. Most likely, if you are using uh, marijuana, you are probably mixing it with something else. Right. Okay? Right. So alcohol. Yeah. Cocaine, so, and I, I think know, those are those are the moments where we see that psychosis happening. Gotcha. But it can happen on its own. So gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. So next one here is cancer is striking more young people, and doctors are alarmed and baffled. And this is by Brianna Abbott from the Wall Street Journal on January 11th of 2024. So cancer diagnosis rates in the U.S. rose to. 107.8 cases per 100,000 people under the age of 50 in 2019, up to 12.8% from 95.6 in, tw- in 2000. All of this is according to the federal data. So a study in the BMJ, which is a British medical journal, mm-hmm. British Medical Journal of Oncology last year reported a similar increase in cancers in people under the age of 50 globally, with the highest rates in North America, Australia, and Western Europe. Doctors are puzzled by what is driving this phenomenon and suspect that environmental factors such as less physical activity, more ultra-processed foods, new toxins, or medications may be involved. They are also concerned about the long-term effects of cancer treatments on young survivors such as infertility. Inferti- I can't say that word. I infertility? Can, I can never say that word. Infertility. There. <laughs> Heart problems or secondary cancers. Some of the cancers that are rising in young people are typically associated with older age, colorectal, colorectal, <laughs> gastric, pancreatic, and liver cancers. These can- all awful. All cancers are horrific, awful, awful. horrific, and pancreatic. Like I did extensive research in pancreatic cancer, and that is, ooh, it comes quick, it comes silent, and it's just horrific. Anyway, so these cancers are often diagnosed at later stages when they are the hardest to treat because young people and their doctors may not suspect cancer as a cause of their symptoms. This article also features the stories of several young cancer patients, such as Malin Keen, a 27-year-old lawyer who had her stomach removed due to gastric cancer, and Matt Wilson, a 32-year-old father who was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. They share their challenges and hopes as they cope with their disease. 
This article concludes by highlighting the need for more research and awareness on cancer in young people, as well as better screening and prevention strategies. It also urges young people to pay attention to their bodies and seek medical help if they notice any unusual changes or symptoms, which we are not great at. Yeah. Us millennials and like the what is it? Gen Z is before us, right? I don't know. I don't know. I think so. The generation before younger than millennials. Yeah. Whatever that is. I think it's Gen Z. Pay attention to your body. Just because we're quote unquote young, we're not we're not getting younger. Yeah. Okay. this hit this has been hitting me like a bus lately. Like I saw like a TikTok the other day that's like, oh, yeah, back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. You mean 20 years ago? I know. (laughs) No, I know. Or like, oh, yeah, back in the 90s. Oh, so you mean like 10 years ago? No, it's not. It's not 10 years ago. And it hasn't been 10 years ago in yeah. a very long time. In a very long time. But yeah. for some reason in my mind, I'm like, yeah, the 90s, like 10 years yeah, ago, 10 right? Yeah, 10 years ago, I know. Negative. So we're not getting younger and things start happening to our bodies and we have to take care of them and look. And it's not even as we get older, it's our our age, like millennials and Gen Zers. We're seeing it now. Unfortunately, these cancers, we are getting them and research is being done to see like i had mentioned if it's environmental if it's our diets what is it but we don't know yet so pay attention to your bodies do the preventative screenings go to your doctor's appointment get the blood test get you know the pap smears get the freaking pap smears (laughs) please if you're a woman get the pap smears all those things it's just it's sad it's sad but i mean it's so big that i mean it's it's being recorded even like in europe and australia and everything it's a global thing yeah i think medicine changes a lot as the years go on our science gets better but i i am a high believer that there's definitely environmental factors that are not helping there's a ton of things that have been proving to be inflammatory it's just and when when we talk about papers okay Mm -hmm. because a lot of people get their like feathers ruffled when there's there's no robust evidence okay we could go on a far tangent with that one from recent past let me tell you okay (laughs) in order for there to be robust evidence you have to have a robust study okay robust yeah that's the the our favorite term okay and i a hundred percent agree that nothing we need to practice evidence-based medicine however okay listen to other things that are going on because that's how science works you spark theories and then you test those theories by studies isn't it hypotheses like yes the scientific method exists it's a scientific method it's the first thing we learn in science right so apart from there being robust studies there are other studies that probably aren't strong, but not because they're, the idea behind the study was bad. It's just that to do these type of studies takes a lot of money, takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of dedication. You need to go through a crap ton of checks and balances. Yeah. To even sign up to do a study is a process. Yep. Okay. Yep. Like that whole entire IRB and everything but just the process of an irb process is a long time so what i'm trying to say is that yes we need time to get these robust sources and these robust papers i'm gonna keep saying it i wonder if the person is gonna know who she is i doubt that she's Uh, she's even listening Yeah. yeah but anyways the point is is that it takes time for evidence to come out I yeah. can the perfect example that I can place for this is hand washing. Thank you. Doctors oh my god. Used to not wash your hands at all. And I then was this close to writing that as an example. Yeah. So yeah. you want to be that those that committee of doctors that yeah. made him go into an insane asylum yeah. because he this doctor that was for and yeah. thought of you need to wash your hands after every surgery or yeah. whatever. They put him in a freaking mental asylum saying that he was crazy because germs don't exist. Yep. So hand washing. I I love that you thought like that Many years. Okay. Many years. And then through time and evidence and everything else, our studies and all of that. We're going to do an episode on that. We were able to figure out that hand washing is important. And now we have 
strong, robust studies. Okay. But there was a person that thought about it before and everyone was like, oh my God, you're crazy. They, they put them in a mental institution. And I'm going to say <laughs> COVID, when COVID happened, okay, the mask wearing. Yeah. I remember being a resident and being told to take off my mask. Yeah. Because they didn't want to scare the patients and there was nothing. Robust evidence. Robust evidence about mask wearing. And now we have a lot of robust evidence. Okay. So at the end of the day, medicine, my tangent, I went off on a huge tangent, but what I'm trying to say is that medicine changes, studies start coming out. We really should be paying attention to our physical activity, what we're eating, what we're exposing our bodies to, because we truly don't know what the future is going to come back at us and be like, I should have probably yeah just a little bit more careful yeah exactly exactly just pay attention to your body yeah honestly listen to your body if something feels off or a little weird yeah pay attention to it pay pay attention go to your doctor yeah and this goes for this goes for medical providers as well i hate using the word medical providers but so does mario yeah i I really do (laughs) but go to your primary care provider okay and just let them know and and, yeah. and be specific. I yeah. think that's a really hard, and, and I'm not saying that to downplay some people, but sometimes when you go to the doctor and you tell them like really vague symptoms, it, there's we need so to many narrow things. down things, exactly. right? Because there's so many things. So if you tell me you have a stomach ache, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I cannot, I cannot test you for everything that causes a, a stomach ache. So possible. like, tell me more. So be sure to like write down your symptoms Is it and how many you, times every, you're feeling it and what you, you think makes something. it worse. What do you think makes it better? You know, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Sorry for that tangent. No, no, no. Oh, and the other thing. I I vehemently, vehemently do not accept that doctors are not sciences. That's mm. all I needed to say. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. She is. I'm not. Okay. I, I don't have an MD or a PhD or anything like that on, at, at the end of my name. But I don't know. I think history says otherwise. Yeah. That, you know, about doctors and science. But that's all I have to say. Anyway, so yeah. next one. This is all you. Yes. And we can go off on a tangent on it again. But okay, we're <laughs> back to the news. Okay. So breakthrough embryo test could improve the odds for thousands of undergoing IVF. This is by Laura Simmons on January 12, 2024 on IFL Science. So a team of researchers has developed a breakthrough method that uses a technique called Roman. Oh, Roman. no, Roman. Raman? It is Raman. I think Raman. R-A-M-A. Raman spectroscopy to predict the quality of embryos used for IVF. This is crazy. And this is huge. And again, things that we're seeing on advancements in medicine. This method is a non-invasive, objective, and accurate, and could potentially improve the success rate of IVF and reduce the number of cycles and embryos needed for each patient. So the Raman spectroscopy is a method that uses laser light to detect vibrations of molecules. That's how a spectrometry spectrometer works. So you put something in there and it like shoots a laser and then it measures a vibration. And then with those vibrations, like they kind of get these measurements, right? right? So so it detects the vibrations of the molecules in the sample. So by analyzing the Raman spectra of embryos, the researchers could reveal the metabolic state which is related to their quality and potential to develop the healthy babies, okay? The researchers used a machine learning algorithm to classify the embryos into three categories, high, medium, and low quality. Then they tested the algorithm on a separate set of embryos and found that it could accurately predict the implantation potential. This is, you know, it's very hard to do IVF. Yeah. Maybe that's an episode we can do too. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's a long episode. But... IVF is extremely taxing. Oof. It's extremely taxing. Expensive. It's expensive. And taxing physically and emotionally. Emotionally. It's a very hard journey. So this is, I I love that we're putting more research into this um, so that we can help our families and when it comes to their family planning. Uh, So the researchers claim that their method is the first to provide an objective and non-invasive way to assess the quality of embryos for IVF. They hope that their method could help thousands of couples who rely on assisted reproductive technology to achieve their dream of being parents. They also suggest that their method could be used to study the effects of environmental factors such as diet and stress on embryo development. So honestly, more information, better, you know, for all of this, because all this information will only increase the chances of the IVF actually Mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. this is just 
It's fantastic. So, all right, for the next one. This one is, this is perfect for you. Yeah, it's very good for me. If you didn't know, I did a lot of research on this for a while. But anyway, microplastics and how it gets into our food system and in our lives and the messiness and the vicious cycle that we're creating for ourselves with it. But anyway, eating fish, meat or tofu, you're probably eating microplastics too. I don't know why I said macro. It's micro. I was like, macroplastics? No. I'm like, what? No, micro. Okay. That's the problem that it's micro. Anyway, by Alison Chu on January 12, 2024 in the Washington Post. So you might think that eating fish is the most likely way to ingest microplastics, which are the tiny pieces of plastic that pollute our oceans and waterways. But a new study has found that microplastics are present in nearly 90% of the protein sources that we consume. And this includes beef, chicken, and tofu, and breaded shrimp. Okay, so like pretty much every common type of protein out there, yeah. you know? The study published in the Journal of Environmental Science and Technology and analyzed more than a dozen kinds of protein from different countries and regions and measured the amount of, and type of microplastics in each sample. The results showed that fish had the highest concentration of microplastics, but then this was followed by chicken, tofu, and beef. Okay, so even if you're vegan, even if you're vegetarian and you're like, well, that doesn't account for me. Yes, it does. If you eat tofu, it does. Breaded shrimp had the lowest concentration, but still contained some microplastics. The study also found that the type of microplastics varied depending on the protein source, with fish containing mostly fibers and fragments, and chicken and tofu containing mostly films and foams. It's not great. Yummy. The study... Films, just the word film... And foams. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. The study is one of the first to compare the microplastic content of different protein sources, and it raises questions about the health and environmental implications of microplastic exposure. Microplastics can carry harmful chemicals and pathogens and can accumulate in the body over time. The study's authors suggest that more research is needed to understand the sources, pathways, and effects of microplastics in our food system. They also recommend that consumers reduce their plastic use and waste and choose more sustainable and organic protein options. So that was part of the study that I did was like how, other than like the obvious way of how microplastics well, become microplastics and like how they degrade and degrade until they come, become very little and then with the, they involve themselves in the food chain of animals and then we eat those animals and then it's just the, the food chain. But it was also how those plastics from like, let's say from an island in the middle of nowhere could travel to like a continent or another island and bring those pathogens there. That's like take those pathogens yeah. there. So it's pretty much like a vector, a vector, you know, of transmitting different things as well. So it's... It's very interesting, and it's one of the main reasons why we gotta we gotta be on top of the plastics and and honestly, and even just like sourcing, like where's eating your food that. source? Yeah, and exactly. like and that's the thing. Like maybe we should do an episode on plastics because the thing is that plastics, how they're made, that's the problem. Like because if you really think about it, it's like okay, but why is that so dangerous for us to like eat those these plastics? Plastics are made from like gas, like petroleum, gas based. Uh, gasoline-based, like petroleum-based chemicals. Mm -hmm. These are chemicals we're not supposed to be ingesting. Yeah. They're toxic to us. So at the very basis, what they're made of is the problem. So then we ingest them, our system like digests it, we, those chemicals are released into us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were just talking about cancers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, we were. So, I know. We I were mean, just talking about that, how, like, environmental factors and stuff. So this and might be... I don't be... think it's just cancers. I think, you no, know, no, what no, about no, no. kids and adults with behavioral that, um, that was literally, problems? Exactly. And... Cycle. It's a lot of eczema. Now well, that they're showing being, it's being linked to a lot of, you know... Well, don't you... Diet. You had mentioned a couple of episodes back about some patient that he or she would be like in Germany or something in Germany with her dad and then her ex her severe ex not even mild her severe I would consider that severe eczema mm -hmm. her severe eczema would completely clear the two months that she would be with her father in Germany that's incredible yeah that on itself should be like a case study of what the heck so that I mean. that at least tells me environmental yeah. whether it's water food whatever else it is yeah. It's definitely things that we need to look into. 100%. Okay. All right. So it's you. Okay. So next up, biological changes in the brain may help in getting over an X study finds. I want to <laughs> read this. 
I'm just kidding. You can cut that out. <laughs> okay. So biological changes in the brain may help in getting over an X studies find. This is by Nicola Davis. Uh, this was uh, published on January 12, 2024 on The Guardian. So the article is about a new study that explored how the brain may help people cope with the loss of a romantic partner. This study was conducted by the researchers at CU, CU oh, Boulder, Colorado University. University. Oh, I love Colorado. Okay. Yeah, so the study was conducted by researchers at Colorado University in Boulder who used prairie bulls. What, what the fuck is a prairie bull? It's a little rat. It's a little rat. I'll put it right here. He's kind of cute, but if that shit came up to me, I'd die. It's cute. Nah. It's furry. Mm. It's like a little furball. Mm. But look, when I searched prairie bulls, like, why are they monogamous? So maybe this, the, is, this what... is why. You're going yeah, to unable it. to reliably pursue multiple females. Wow. We should be, we should teach men how to be like prairie bulls. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't put that in there. <laughs> okay. That's so evil. Okay. So prairie bulls are known to form lifelong bonds. Well, Julie, why didn't you tell me that was an I told you. I told you it was coming up. I'm over here like, oh, look, they're monogamous. I know what I'm like. It's right there. Okay. (laughs) Prairie bulls are known to form lifelong bonds with their mates and show similar brain activity to humans when they're in love. So researchers designed an experiment where the prairie voles interacted and they did it for like about a week. Then they separated them and tested their responses to seeing their partner or a stranger vole. Okay. So just imagine like this little mouse. It looks like a little mouse. Okay. I'll, I'll put it here for any of you that are watching on YouTube. Yeah. So it's like a little mouse and then they put a lot Freedom of them together shoot. and then they separated them and then they either reintroduced them to one that they had already met or one that was like completely stranger and they had never met before. Yeah. So they measured the levels of dopamine release, which is a neurotransmitter that's involved in the reward and the motivation in the brain region called the nucleus accumbens. Don't ask me where that is, where that is in the brain. So they found that the voles showed a higher release of dopamine when they pressed a lever and opened the door to reunite with their partners There's compared no to when they met a new vole. Like, I can just imagine the prairies like they open up the door and they're like, who the fuck is this? Hey, bitch, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know this dude. Close the door. Close the door. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're not my wife? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Exactly. <laughs> That's really why their dopamine was so low, because they were probably scared. Yeah, they were probably scared, exactly. They were Whoa, like, shut the door! <laughs> I'm a stranger! Whatever happened to not say hi to strangers? They were like, <laughs> I love this study so much. Oh so they also cuddled more with their partners so and had cute. more dopamine during cuddling. Oh. This suggests that the bulls find their partners more rewarding and reinforcing <laughs> than a stranger. No shit. no shit. I wouldn't cuddle up with a stranger. <laughs> Unless it was Henry Cow. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! I love like how everybody's on the Henry Cavill train now, yeah. and I had known We've about been, him forever. We've been on this since a very long time. Like, remember when he was gonna be Christian Grey? Oh, that was such a missed opportunity. I know. And then, in my mind, no, he was Christian Grey. That was a missed opportunity. Was Charlie Hunnam? Oh yeah, that's another hottie. I can't believe that it's bullshit. Put it's him. bullshit. Yeah. No, and somebody mentioned that too for The Witcher. Oh yeah, that now they put um fucking this uh, guy, this guy with the the, the Hemsworth he- crappy Hemsworth. He's, he's fine, but but not for not I'm after not... Henry Cavill. Yeah, I know. Like if you could, if you were going to do that, you start with him. And yeah, exactly. but you can't go ahead and give me one like the, 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 ten out of ten to fucking Liam Hemsworth. Like, yeah, and Liam Hemsworth, he's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a beautiful man. But have but... you seen him and like as a Witcher? No, I haven't seen him as the Witcher. I'm sure it's not the same. No, as Henry do Cavill. it, do it, do it. I want to see. I want to record your face. So picture Henry Cavill. Now that you saw the Witcher, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful, masculine, ruggedness, delicious-looking man. And now, let me see. That. He's no, 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 beautiful. no. That's not him, bro. Oh, um... That. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, again, the guy is not ugly. No, but okay. not but not that. But, oh, come <laughs> on, bro, but he's not that. What is that? All right, never mind. You see what I mean? Kindly, you kindly. can't. Estoy decepcionada. 
yeah, it's very disappointing. It's yeah. very disappointing. So people were like, okay, why not pick somebody that maybe like, I don't know, has the same level of hotness as Henry Cavill. Charlie um, Hunnam. Yeah. Bro, Charlie Hunnam as a witcher would have been beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Another missed opportunity. Oh, man. Anyway. Oh, Anyways, why, why are we? Oh, because I, I, I said that I would cuddle with a stranger and that was oh, yeah, Henry yeah, Cavill. Yeah. And I would do it with Charlie Hunnam. I, I would too. And I think my, my husband would, would not. Would do it. No, I think yeah. Mario would do it too. I think he would too. Yeah. He'd be like, fine, I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right. So anyways, however, after four weeks of the separation of the voles of the little mice, they no longer showed this difference in dopamine levels or cuddling behavior. The researchers interpreted this as a sign that bond between voles had weakened and the voles had adapted to their loss of their partner with that separation. So they speculated that this could be a biological mechanism to help the voles move on by, um, and by finding new mates. Damn, okay. it only took them what? Four, four weeks? Four weeks. Damn. I, mean, I think that's pretty So like a typical. month. Wow, that's actually pretty... That's pretty quick. I don't know, at least for me, my toxic ass. <laughs> but but they completely separated them. I think that's what humans don't do. We do not completely separate. Yeah, I guess so. Texting, imagine yeah, like shit, yeah. imagine like blocking, erasing yeah. messages, erasing pictures, yeah. erasing everything for four straight weeks. Man, anyone can get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. I just feel you know, like if you think about it. Part of the reason why we miss people and stuff like that yeah, is there's because reminders. we're scrolling yeah. through the text You're messages, right. through the pictures, You're and right. we have people constantly like, are you okay? Mm. And all these things and constantly yeah. reminding us like, and when you finally get that physical cut, yeah. cut, yeah. don't get me wrong, they're probably like missing them, but it's that it was like after four weeks, they like they met over. another stranger and they're like, all right, you aren't too bad. Yeah, you'll do. Yeah, you'll do. <laughs> 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 but I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, you're not going to miss the other person. I'm just saying I feel like four weeks is, I don't know. I thought it was normal. Stop PCing you. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess I know what I need to do. Exactly. <laughs> just cut them. So that way I don't suffer for like months. No, clearly you don't. No, I, well, I don't cut them off like that. Okay, you know what? No, 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 let's this continue. Is, this let's is continue. Cut out completely. No, it's you, not. No, no yes, not. You're gonna erase continue. that part because I don't need any exes messaging me or thinking anything. Listen, you got blocked already. Definitely. Okay. 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 So the researchers <laughs> also discussed that uh, the implications of their findings for humans who experience breakups or bereavement. So they suggested that the dopamine system may play a role in maintaining and dissolving human bonds and that some people may have trouble adjusting to the loss of their loved ones because their dopamine system does not change accordingly. Damn dopamine. They also proposed that doing activities that boost dopamine, such as exercise, socializing, may help people cope with the pain of separation. So this actually brings up like a good topic that it's not just a breakup. Like it could be someone that is actually gone, gone. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, yeah. you know, death or... Yeah. Anything or even somebody going overseas, you know, like a lot of relationships, you know, that their their significant others like serving or something like that. Yeah. So they have to like deal with that separation for, for sometimes years, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of a lot, a lot of cases where this study could come into. Yeah. Not just petty breakups like we were yeah. talking about. But it, it's just show getting out, socializing. We're social creatures. Going we have to. to go exercise, kind of releasing that dopamine. Yeah. It's going to help you just aid in the recovery. Yeah. Which I guess is like why people say like when you break up with someone or whatever, you start eating like all the junk food, all the stuff that makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you're just chasing that dopamine again. Yeah. You know, but anyway. All right, so teenagers with more siblings have worse mental health, study suggests. Wow, um, awesome. I'm an only child, and she's I one of three. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, and the funny thing is that I had posted this, um, this exact article in our stories in Funny Medicine, uh -huh. and Eric, your, your her eldest brother, replied <laughs> back saying? like cracking off, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that that tracks. <laughs> oh, oh, Eric. <laughs> So um, this is by Ian Sample in January 15, 2024 on The Guardian. So the article reports on a study that examined the relationship between the number of siblings and mental health of teenagers in the U.S. and China. The study found that teenagers from larger families had slightly worse mental health than those from smaller families, especially when their siblings were older or close in age. I could tell you that as an only child, 
at least not negative on me, but anyway. <laughs> Researchers suggested that this might be due to the dilution of parental resources and attention among more children, which could affect their emotional well-being. The article also mentioned that some previous studies that showed mixed effects of having more siblings, such as increased social skills, lower academic achievement, and higher risk of depression. The article concluded by noting that the study had some limitations, clearly, such as not accounting for quality of sibling relationships and that more research was needed to understand the complex factors that influence mental health in families. Yeah, like this cannot be blanketed because it all depends on there's a big, big proponent on how you all get along. If you guys hate each other, then obviously that's going to suck. But if you guys love each other and are close in a family, then I don't see how that my mom like did not give us a choice. <laughs> It's either we loved each other or we loved each other. <coughs> she would, like, literally lock us in a room. Yeah, yeah. At least me and Victor. Eric was older. <laughs> yeah. Because So my older brother is eight years older than me and ten years older than my younger brother because I'm I the middle. I didn't know it was that big of a gap. Yeah, but okay. that's what I'm saying. A lot of people don't realize that gap because of how close yeah. we all are. Yeah. So like, I'm telling you, my mom did not give us a choice. <laughs> we would fight. And my mom, first of all, my mom never got into our fights. Mm. She was like, you guys deal with that yeah. like, on your own. But then like she would watch. And then after like we were over our fight, she was like, all right, now hug each other. Yeah. Give each other a kiss on the cheek and say that you love each other. And she would force it. And if we were like, I love you. <laughs> she was like, no, that didn't come from the heart. And we and she kept on making us do it until like the 10th time that I was like, I love you. I would pay money to see that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. can't. Like, I'm just imagining you and Victor, and that's why it's, like, yeah. way too far. Or Eric. Eric didn't have a choice. Eric has two annoying little siblings. Like, oh me and God. Victor were two years apart. Yeah. I, no, I know. You and so, Victor, yeah. We were all over Eric all the time. He didn't have a choice. Poor Eric. Yeah. He loves us, though. <laughs> you love me, right? No, he does. <laughs> I have no doubt. He's, like... Like practically like a father figure for well, no, I is, get it. Yeah, I get it. Not, like, we no, have but a dad. Our dad is very very present, present in our life. Very present. But I'm saying, but like, he's a he very much on, a yeah, he older took on brother. Older brother, yeah, yeah, that very much older brother um role. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is you. Okay. And this very much suits you. Yes. This frustrates me. It. Do, it I. I can only imagine you it's as a pediatrician yes. how much this has to irk you because it irks me as a parent. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I can. But you deal with this on a daily basis as your job. As a daily basis. And I don't have the option to do anything about it. But so measles outbreaks are occurring in some pockets of the U.S. Here's why doctors are concerned. Exhibiting. By Mary Kikatos and Yuri Benajoud. Yuri B. Yeah, Yuri B. Exactly. I'm sorry. I butchered your name, Yuri. Uh, yeah. Okay, so this was published on January 18th, 2024 <laughs> on ABC News. So the article reports on a recent measles outbreaks in some parts of the U.S., such as Philly, Virginia, Washington State, Georgia. So this is a quote, okay, from the article. In 2023, there were 41 confirmed cases of measles, according to incomplete data from the CDC, unquote. Okay. Measles is highly contagious and it can cause many serious complications yeah. especially in children okay so let me just set the picture because a lot of families from other places okay other places in the world they have had measles mm -hmm. before and luckily nothing has ever happened to them just the way that we get sick with covid that's the way that we get sick with flu with rsv there are kids that have the sniffles there are kids that end up on ecmo okay so everyone has a different ex extreme on that bar of how severe to how mild things everybody has a different immune system exactly everyone has a different immune system and everyone has a different body okay yeah. and a different way of fighting an infection so measles is Again, highly contagious and can cause serious problems. That is a known thing. Just because it didn't happen to someone that you know doesn't mean that it cannot happen. Right. Okay. So measles was declared eliminated. Okay. Eliminated. It was actually eliminated. I can't believe I'm freaking blows of mine, man. It, it was actually eliminated in the U.S. in 2000, but has resurfaced due to travelers bringing in the virus from abroad and low vaccination rates among some communities. 
The article cites Dr. Peter Hotez, a professor of pediatrics and molecular virology at Baylor College of Medicine, who expresses his concern about the trend of declining immunizations and the risk of measles spreading among unvaccinated people. The article advises people to check their vaccination status and to get the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine if they're not protected. That's the MMR for yeah. those of you that go to the pediatrician or whatever, and then it's like, MMR, exactly. MMR, that's what it is. It also urges people to seek medical attention if they develop symptoms of measles, such as fever, rash, cough, runny nose, which, by the way, can be a million other different things. So it's not because if you have that, that you have measles. However, if you do have a breakout in a certain area and you have those symptoms, I'm going to be highly concerned that this is measles, right? So measles can be prevented by vaccination, which is safe and effective. This is very controversial. This is, it's, I think it's very unfortunate, the misleading science behind this. Yeah. There was a doctor that completely effed it up for a lot of people, caused a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And now a lot of people do not vaccinate. Yeah. And then once those people, once that person was discredited. Yeah. Then those people still wanted to hold on to that idea. And now they're just finding everything And what we're talking about is that there was a doctor, he published this study, and I'm putting in quotes for those of you that are not, um, that are only listening to this episode, I'm using my hand quotations, this study, and he published it in The Lancet. The Lancet went ahead and redacted it once they found out that his study was completely manipulated. So his numbers made them up. Made them up. Everything. The whole study, he made it up. All because Oh, and by the way, this person was not even an infectious disease doctor. No. He wasn't a pediatrician. Nothing. He wasn't anything like that. He was, like, of a completely different other specialty. Yeah. And wasn't even studying vaccines, by the way. No. And we could go further into this in an episode, but I believe this is all based on, like, his own beliefs. Yes, exactly. And that's why he did this study to give validation and then be able to spread that belief. Yeah. So he published it in The Lancet. The Lancet found out that all of his numbers, all of his data, all of his results were all manipulated and made up. They redacted it. He it went so far as that they took away his license. Yep. He was no longer able to practice medicine because it was BS. To but you best the... believe that he banked on it, though. 100%. And he continues to do interviews all around the world. And then we have problems like this. Yes. So thanks. Exactly. Thanks, guy. But yeah. yeah. So guys, just educate yourselves. It's just it's if you see a child, if you if you really doubt it, go to YouTube and go and search measles in children. Yeah, it will scar you. It is not pretty. No, it's not horrible. Pretty. It's horrible, horrible, and the, horrible. And the sequ- like the sequela that you can have. Is that how you say sequela? I'm not sure. Sequelae, whatever. The complications that you can have after measles mm. is also very scary. It's, okay. It's horrible. It's yeah. horrible because people just have thought of it as such a like a just a cold or something. And it's so much more than that. Yeah. And I have also it's not just even like anti-vaxxers okay yeah also people coming in from out of this country and you are here in the u.s i don't know if everyone like understands how like recommendations for vaccines are made but it basically goes based off of if they compare different areas and then they're like what are the chances that this area is going to have higher measles and then that's how they kind of determine when the person should be vaccinated Mm -hmm. when they should be boosted So they take all those things into consideration. So that's why the U.S. schedule for vaccinations is very different from, I don't know, Serbia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have people coming in from out of the country here to live in the U.S. Okay. And then they're like, oh, but we want to follow the vaccination schedule from them. Yeah, but you're not living there. And I'm like, you're not living there. It's and, different and they're like yeah but they don't do it until this age and now and i'm just like and i'm like how is it that i have only 15 minutes to 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 make sure to check you to do everything and to also explain how vaccination vaccinations works, works. and it's not just for your kids it's for other kids exactly too. like you are here you are here in the u.s forget about where you came from yeah you are here. yeah 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 i mean you, and you're currently out there in the waiting room with a bunch of other sick kids <laughs> She doesn't have measles, folks. She's vaccinated. I, <laughs> I just, uh, I got excited. We're both fully vaccinated. Yeah, we're both fully vaccinated. 
<laughs> yeah, no. It's, I mean, we could go on a very far tangent on, on that on that yeah. whole topic there. But Sorry. Anyway. I let the emotions sink. <clears throat> Got the best of me. All good, girl. It's <laughs> literally part of your everyday struggle at work. Every day, every day. Okay. All right. So a first ever experiment shows how pigs might one day help people w- that have liver failure. So pretty big. By the Associated Press on ABC News, January 18, 2024. So, <laughs> sorry. You're all good. The article reports on a groundbreaking experiment by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania who successfully attached a pig liver to a brain dead human body and observed it to filter blood for 24 hours. The article explains that the experiment was done to test the feasibility of using pig organs as temporary replacements for humans who need transplants but face a severe shortage of donors, which is true. Like all organ donations. Are, are very low. There's not readily available organs at all. That's one of the reasons if you can and if you choose, if you're able to, in whatever sense of the word, if you could put in your license or whatever to be an o- organ donor, I mean, it'd be it'd be great if you could because yeah. there's so many people out there that need it. The researchers used a technique called xenoperfusion, xenoperfusion, which Zeno means it's like a form. from animal to like from species to species. That's what I mean. Different the, species yeah. to another different Not species. Not human to human. Which involves connecting the blood vessels of the pig liver to the human body through tubes and pumps. The pig liver was kept outside the body in a sterile chamber where it received oxygen and nutrients. The article describes the results of the experiment, which showed that the pig liver was able to perform its normal functions, such as producing bile, removing toxins, and regulating blood sugar. So, like, pretty much doing exactly what it needs to do. The researchers also monitored the human body for signs of rejection or infection, but found none. They concluded that the pig liver was compatible with the human body and did not cause any harm. The article also discusses the implications and limitations of the experiment, which was the first of its kind in the world. It mentions that the experiment could pave the way for future clinical trials where pig organs could be used to bridge the gap between liver failure and transplantation or even to regenerate damaged livers. However, it is, by the way, people, you can't survive without a liver. Like, you need a liver to survive it's not like a kidney that you have two so you can live with without one not the case for a liver it's extremely important however it is it also acknowledges that there are many ethical legal and and technical challenges to overcome such as ensuring the safety and quality of the pig organs preventing cross-species diseases and obtaining consent from patients and families which is true like i mean a pig i know that some some cultures don't even eat pig so, you know, yeah. they don't eat pork, none of that, or anything that has anything to do with pigs. So obviously there's some limitations to that. The article concludes by highlighting the potential benefits of using pig organs for human patients who often die waiting for transplants or suffer from complications of liver failure. It also quotes the lead researcher, Dr. Ali Naji, who stated that the experiment was, quote, a proof of concept that this can be done, close quote. And that he hoped it would, quote again, open new avenues of research and therapy. Close quote. So I, I mean, this is. There's already been some transplants for hearts. Yeah. So xenotransplants as well for heart surgery, and heart transplants. And there's people survive the mm-hmm. the surgeries. There are complications. For I sure. Think some yeah. patients have died. Um, and however, they're... they're saying that this could even be like for a bridge because of the shortage right. of this. Yeah, because a lot of people, like I just mentioned, they die in the in the meantime of waiting <laughs> yeah, to exactly. get that. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, this is all you. All right. So cancer <laughs> vaccine with minimal side effects nearing phase three clinical trials. This is by Dr. Jade Coburn. It was published on January 20th on 2024. This came out on ABC News. So a biotech company called Orbis Health Solutions is developing a personalized cancer vaccine that uses a person's tumor cells to stimulate their immune system to fight melanoma, a type of skin cancer. Okay, for those of you that didn't know what melanoma was. The vaccine has shown promising results in phase two clinical trials with minimal side effects and high survival rates. The vaccine is now nearing phase three of trials. So it's advancing pretty well, which will involve more participants and compare the vaccine with other treatments. So that's part of phase three. So we take the gold standard and then 
we compare it to the gold standard, right? So you want to make sure that you're giving someone the gold standard before you give them something else that might be so effective. So that's part of phase three trials. Um, The founder of the company, Dr. Thomas Wagner, believes... Landering. Dr. Thomas Wagner believes that this vaccine could be... Only patrons know what that means. (laughs) So Dr. Wagner, he believes that this vaccine could be a key to finding a cure for all cancers if paired with early detection. He has been working on this project for 60 years and says that he can now answer the questions of when there will be a cure for cancer. But the article also explains how the vaccine works, how it differs from traditional cancer treatments and what challenges it can face in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty big, big, big stuff there. The fact that it's going to see, well, yeah, that it's going or it is at stage three is pretty big. Yeah, Yeah. it is. Once, uh, once you're in phase three, you you're know, like you're, right there. Well, yeah, you're basically comparing it to the gold standard. Mm-hmm. So that's like, I don't know, like for an ear infection, I give you amoxicillin and all of a sudden there's a new drug that comes out that's probably like better than amoxicillin. Or, I don't know. That's it's a yeah. poor example. What I'm trying to say is that when you're comparing something to the first line treatment to the gold standard, yeah, it's a, that's actually pretty, pretty good. All right. So children with genetic deafness having hearing restored with gene therapy by Mary Kakatos, January 24th of 2024, by ABC News. The article reports on a groundbreaking gene therapy that restored hearing in children with a rare form of genetic deafness. The therapy involved injecting a virus carrying a normal version of the OTOF gene, which produces a protein essential for sound transmission into the inner ears of six children who had mutations in this gene. Five of the six children showed significant improvement in their hearing and speech abilities within six months of the treatment. The researchers from Mass Eye and Ear in Boston and Fudan University in Shanghai said that this was the first human clinical trial to use gene therapy for this condition and the results were remarkable. They also mentioned another case of an 11-year-old boy from Morocco who received the same therapy in Philadelphia and also regained his hearing. The researchers said that this therapy could potentially benefit many people with genetic deafness and pave the way for more gene therapies for hearing loss. They also emphasize the importance of early detection and intervention for children with hearing impairment as it affects their brain development and communication skills. The article concluded by stating that about one in 500 infants are born with or develop hearing loss and more than 60% of the cases are due to genetic reasons. Yeah, that's outstanding. <clears throat> I know that's actually crazy. It's amazing. And like those those, those videos, videos. Oh, Jules, you were thinking the same thing as me. It gets. I am not a person that cries easily. No, I cry every single. Th- I cry for everything, but that uh, it takes me a, a lot to cry. And that those videos, I'm done. I'm yeah. done. I know when they hear the mom or the parent like the parent. The, at, for their first time how they yeah. like, like I'm getting goosebumps and then just like thinking of it like and it even was... adults adults that lose yeah. their hearing oh yeah, and yeah, then yeah they're yeah, able yeah. to like hear again and it's just incredible it, and yeah it really is so oh, oh here good stuff so good. so this is great so okay another I know <clears throat> Robitussin 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 maker recalls several lots of cough syrup due to possible high levels of yeast. Awesome. Awesome. By Matthew Perone. This was published on January 25th, 2024 and came out on ABC News. So Halion, the maker of Robitussin cough syrup, is recalling eight lots of products containing honey that have expiration dates ranging from October 2025 to June 2026. The products are Robitussin Honey CF Max Daily Adult and Robitussin Honey CF Max Nighttime Adult, which are used to relieve symptoms of colds or flu, hay fevers, or other respiratory allergies. The reason for the recall is that the products have the potential to cause severe life-threatening fungal infections like yeast. A fungal infection is not a joke. Yeah, and it's like when we're talking about that it's in your blood, that's very severe. And also, when we talk about any kind of systemic infection, we are also concerned for people that have weakened immune systems, yeah, um, such as organ transplant recipients or those with HIV, cancers. Can- yeah, exactly. There's a million yeah. reasons why someone can be immunocompromised. So for the healthy individuals, any infections resulting from the products are unlikely to be serious, but the company said that the possibility cannot be ruled out, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. 
So Halion said it is not it has not received any reports of injury or infection linked to the products and is not notifying its distributors. Oh wait, and is notifying. I was like, damn. I know. <laughs> and is and is notifying the distributors and customers directly to return the recalled products. The company advised consumers who have purchased the products to stop using them immediately and contact their health care professional if they have any problems. The FDA posted the company's announcements to its website on Wednesday and encouraged people to report any adverse reactions to its online system. Yeah, so if you have the, um, any type of Robitussin with honey in it, check for that expiration range. Mm-hmm. And if you have it, dump it. It's not worth it. And I actually, I think if there's um, recalls, you could return them and you could get your money back as long as there's a recall for that specific product. So there you have it, folks. That is pretty much what you would expect from our recaps. They tend to be a little longer because, of course, there's a lot to cover and it's hard for me to pick because and there's still a bunch of articles we just I just talked about one right now that we want to include in the next one because we just ran out of time. It's just (laughs) there's so many things to to report on anyway so yeah catch these on the weeklies by by month by monthly yeah i guess you could say and then of course every month if you're a patreon subscriber yes anyway uh see you in the next episode and thanks for tuning in thank you for liking subscribing doing all the things send us comments tell us recommendations anything say hi (laughs) find us in all our socials we are everywhere and i check everything so Mm -hmm. go ahead and and do that Thank you, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Like, comment, review us on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, etc. Check us out on Instagram and TikTok at Funny Medicine Podcast. Our Gmail is at funnymedicine305 at gmail.com. And remember, we are not diagnosing you. Definitely not. Just funny stuff. See you later, guys. <laughs>